All right, stop being such a friendly place. <clears throat> good morning, good morning. Go ahead and find your way back to your seats. Can't stand it when a church likes to talk to each other. It's the worst. <laughs> Beautiful to see. Hey, good morning. My name is Jeff Benson. I am one of the uh, members of the Leadership Council here, and it's my blessed opportunity just to get to share with, with you from uh, God's Word and, and uh, this time. So let's continue in a spirit of worship as we pray. Jesus, we just uh, come now hungry, hungry for you, hungry for your Word, and ask that you will speak to us, draw us into your presence, and um, yeah, we just want to see you clearly and hear your voice today. So, Jesus, come. Amen. Well, in the beginning of the book of Genesis, uh, God says of Adam, it is not good for man to be alone. And so he creates Eve and draws them together so that they can live in this intimate, connected relationship. Unfortunately, uh, many people in America can agree with that statement that it is not good to be alone. A recent study found that 25% of Americans cannot name a single person that they feel close to. One in four don't have a single person. The average person in the U.S. has only one close friend. And that's heartbreaking um, because we are designed, hardwired to be in close relationships. Another study reported that 58% of Americans report feeling lonely consistently. And of those who experienced loneliness within the past week, more than 40% of that group said the feelings of loneliness range from intense to unbearable. People feel disconnected, disconnected from each other. They also feel disconnected from God. According to a Gallup poll, only half of those who believe in God, which is about 42% of Americans, believe that God both hears prayers and can intervene on a person's behalf. So only 42% believe that God will hear you and do something about it. 28% of Americans say that God hears prayers but cannot intervene. And while 11% think that God does neither. Kind of a strange picture of God, isn't it? One that's pretty disconnected. So that's how many people feel, alone from each other, alone from God. And if that's you today, I just want you to know that, one, you're not alone in experiencing this, right? Just heard that there are so many. And two, the thing I want you to hear is that there isn't something wrong with you if you're experiencing that today. And third, I want you to know that you're in a good place today, if that's how you're feeling, by coming and joining us you know, online or here in person to take that step to begin to be open to connecting to others. Almost six years ago, my wife and I visited uh, this congregation here at Boulder Valley. And uh, while we enjoyed the service, the sermon, and the music, that was all great, the thing that really touched me and made me want to come back was what happened after the service. As I stood there and I watched how the people of this congregation interacted with each other, and they spent time 
talking and connecting and hugging each other, and you could tell that the relationships were real here. Apart, uh, different from other churches that we had visited where people just kind of anonymously came in, sat, listened to the service, got up and walked out, and they didn't interact at all. And so that was really attractive to me of like, man, the people here genuinely love each other. We are in the front half of a sermon series about understanding our DNA as a church. And one of the key fundamentals of our church is that we are committed to growing in authentic relationships with both God and one another. And I believe that those two things have to go together. We aren't meant to simply have a deep relationship with God where we live in some kind of little monastic bubble, right, where we are hermits with God and God and me, we're great, but I don't interact with anybody else. No, when we have a genuine and authentic relationship with God, it naturally includes overflowing and connecting and touching other people. We are designed and intended to be connected and not disconnected. The Bible actually goes so far to say in 1 John 4 that if anyone loves, says, I love God and yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must love his brother. So this morning, I want to look at how to move from being disconnected to connected by looking at a passage from John chapter 15. So if you've got your Bibles with you today, your phone, your physical Bible, whatever you use, please open that up to, to John 15. And uh, kind of keep your thumb there because we're going to be referring back to that. But I want to read this passage to us from the message translation, and it's going to be up here on the screen so you can follow along here. So John 15. I am the real vine, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes, and every branch that is grape-bearing he prunes back so that it will bear even more. You are already pruned back by the message I have spoken. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relationship intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my father shows who he is. When you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. I've loved you the way my father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done, kept my father's commands, and made myself at home in his love. I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy, and that your joy wholly mature. This is my command, love one another the way I've loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do the things I command you. I'm no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. 
No, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. Jesus starts this statement by saying, I am the true vine. And this is the last of Jesus' seven I am statements that are recorded in the Gospel of John, in which Jesus says things like, I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd. Jesus frequently uses metaphors like this to link himself and to uh, express himself as being uh, similar to common things in people's lives, right? To point to a greater truth about himself. And so here Jesus takes up this metaphor of the grapevine to establish a, a, and point out an essential truth about our relationship with him and what it means to be connected. Now, most of us are not horticulturalists, right? We don't spend a lot of time in vineyards. So go ahead and pull up that slide of the, of the vine there. So, again, we have the vine, right? It's the, the base, the trunk that comes up. And from the vine, right, is where the roots are. And it draws the, the water and the nourishment and the, and the life from the soil. And that rises up then and flows into the branch, which supports then the growing of the fruit. And it's essential for a healthy vineyard that the branch have access to, to light and to air and to not be down in the dirt or in the shade in order to, to bear good fruit. Jesus declares, I am the true vine. He is the source of life that flows, that gives life and vitality to the branch, that allows the branch then to be able to bear fruit. God the Father is the gardener who cares for the Son, who tends the vine with the goal of producing abundant fruit that comes from the branch who are his disciples, who are his people, who are you and me. Now, I, I have great sympathy for Bible translators because it's a difficult task, right? They're often challenged to try and take the nuanced options of original languages and, and reduce them uh, to a, a simple phrase or a word. Oftentimes, they have to take word plays that occur in the, in the original tongue and try to figure out how does that transfer into the language that they're writing in. And sometimes it works and, and sometimes it doesn't. And so there's two actual textual points that I want to kind of divert into to look at here in verse 2 and 3 in your Bible. These are, are sections that are really hard to capture uh, moving from, from the Greek to the English because John is doing some word plays here that occur in the original language. The first of which is playing with this idea of the word prune and clean. They're very similar in the Greek. And so nearly all English translations try to capture both, resulting in this abrupt jump from talking about pruning the vine in verse 2 to telling the disciples that they are clean in verse 3. So I don't know if you've ever been like me and head scratched here, like, wait, we were talking about pruning and now we're talking about clean? How did, how did we get there? Um, and that's because John is, again, there's this clever little wordplay that he does. And so probably a more uh, accurate or fluid translation, uh, a more natural translation would simply to be to tell the disciples, hey, you have been pruned by God's word. You are, have already been worked over, uh, you know, taken care of by the Father through the words that Jesus has spoken. Second, there is a, also a part of verse 2 that can be uh, troubling, it's worth looking at. 
The text here says, in most translations, my father is the gardener, and he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, a lot of Bible scholars believe that this ancient word, word that's rendered here, cut off, remove, is also uh, well translated um, as lift up. And so it can be lift up, take away, cuts off, right? So these are kind of the, the options that they have. But the reason that, that uh, I think here it's important is that if we look at this verse saying, my father lifts up a branch, it becomes then consistent with what a uh, vine gardener, a, a caretaker of the vineyard would do. If a long, tenuous trindle of a, of a grapevine is, is drooping down and it's down in the dirt and it's in the shadows of the vine and it's not getting the light and the air it needs, the person tending that garden would come along and he would lift up that, that vine and he would tie it up. He would lift it up and he would clean it off so that it was now out of the dirt and up into the air where it needed to be to, in order to be productive rather than coming along and simply cutting it off and throwing it away. That allowed that vine to get the sun and the light that it needs. So in this, looking at this, rather than God discarding branches, he's lifting them up and he's training them so that they bear fruit. So verse 2 can read, every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he lifts up, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. The primary point, I think, of, of seeing this as rendered lift up rather than cut off is that these branches are said to be in me. Jesus says that every branch in me, the Father takes this action. So chopping off branches who are in Jesus and that are otherwise unfruitful actually then creates areas of tension, doesn't it, about losing salvation or about moving into a works-based righteousness. I've got to produce something in order to be valuable. While instead the idea of nurturing or caring for the branches seems to me much more consistent to other verses where Jesus says that he won't lose any of those who are given to him. Or the passage where Jesus says that a bruised reed God will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You know, for a long time I didn't like this passage because of that rendering in verse 2 in which the, the father is cutting off unfruitful branches. It made me very uncomfortable because it would trigger my deep-rooted false belief that you have to perform for love and that you must perform to please God. And so to me, God the gardener seemed to lurk in the background with his sharp shears looking for some lazy, unproductive branch to hack off and throw into the fire. And because I thought it was about performance, then the question rose, well, what exactly is the fruit that I'm supposed to be producing in order to not get chopped? Is it evangelism? Am I supposed to be out there knocking on doors and telling about people about Jesus? And, and how often is enough to do that? Or, or if I'm not supposed to do that, am I supposed to be out like giving my money away and caring for the poor? And how often am I supposed to be doing that to be, you know, meeting the grade? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing to produce enough fruit to not get chopped? And then I'd look at my life and go, man, I don't know. Maybe I'm not bearing enough fruit. I'm, maybe I'm a withered branch. Like, I'm on the very edge of getting, you know, thrown into the fire. 
Anybody else relate to this anxious reading of this passage? No. You know, fear is not a great motivator, uh, especially in our walk with God. Because Scripture says that perfect love drives out fear. And so the Lord has actually brought me healing and understanding around this to understand that I don't do things for him in order to be loved. Instead, the Bible says that I am already fully loved and accepted by God. And the things that are good and that are fruitful in my life come from an overflow, from a natural expression of God's love and life in me. And that I am invited to do life with him as a son, not for him as a slave. And that you are invited to do life with him as a son and daughter who is dearly loved, who has been adopted and chosen and drawn into his family and given life eternal, not doing life for him as a slave. It's important to recognize that in this passage, Jesus is using a poignant and powerful word picture, a metaphor, to point to a spiritual truth. He's making a primary point about the necessity of being deeply connected to him in relationship. And it's a beautiful picture. Jesus, as he was telling this disciples, was on the night before he was going to be betrayed. And he was so in love with his Abba Father, knowing that even in the coming hours he was going to experience torture and betrayal by his friends. But he still was able to trust his Father completely. Because Jesus had from eternity been in loving community with the Father and the Spirit. And the word says that God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. And that God is love, and that he is good. And so the emphasis of this story, the picture Jesus wants us to walk away from, is understanding that God the Father is the gardener who is lovingly attentive to the health and productivity of the vine. And his goal is producing abundance through followers of Jesus, through the branches, through you. And that you are an essential part of this picture. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are connected to me as a branch. And it's only through intimate connection that we produce fruit. And that the fruit that Jesus creates in us is expressed in love to others. So what does it look like then to be connected, to be intimate with Jesus? So I want you to just take a second here and, uh, and just poke yourself in the navel. Go ahead, reach over, find that baby. I would ask you to reach over and poke your neighbor's navel, but that might get us into trouble. So just find your own. Our navel is a constant reminder that we all started life connected to another human being and that we were formed through that connection of the umbilical cord and that all of our life flows to us through that connection. Isn't that amazing? That we and we were infants in utero, that we were being nurtured and that we were being formed and that we were being matured and we weren't in there like striving and performing and doing a bunch of push-ups or anything, right? Well, maybe we were doing some kick action in our mother's belly, I don't know. But, but we were the recipients of that as we grew and mature. 
Or maybe you know somebody who's, who's been married for a long time and you've noticed that they start to act similar, that they complete each other's sentences. It's because they have spent every day together for decades. They know each other profoundly and their lives are fully integrated. To live and abide in Jesus is like that. When I am connected to Jesus... I'm taking in his life and his love. And I do that as I I spend time soaking in his word, considering and reflecting on what he says and, and responding to him in prayer, in which I both speak and listen. And I spend time worshiping God and adoring and loving him and recognizing that he is God and I am not, that he is in control and I don't have to be that I can live with an open hand and receive the gifts that he gives and I can generously give to others knowing that I don't have to hold on to it and clutch about it and worry about it, that he's got it. That's what it looks like to live and abide in a connection with Jesus. And I surrender my priorities and my life to him. I obey him. We kind of chafe at that word, I think, as Americans, obey. I don't want to obey anybody. Jesus said in verse 10, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Keeping his command to love others keeps us connected with Jesus. It keeps us in step with him. It keeps us close to him. I don't know, have you ever had a fight with a friend and then, you know, after that your relationship is strained and there's kind of this distance and awkwardness until you finally, you know, get together and talk about it and work it out. And and then it's like, hey, now we're back connected. Right? When we are disobedient with Jesus, when we turn and walk in our own way and do our own thing, right? We are like that friend who creates that friction and that separation from the relationship. And there's that tension until we turn back and and re-establish that connection. So I have this garden hose in my backyard that normally is, you know, coiled up by the faucet. But when I go to use it and turn on the water and I start dragging the hose across the yard to water some plants, inevitably that thing gets a kink in it. Like it has always got this kink. And then you got to stop and you walk back and unkink the hose to get the water flowing again, go back. (laughs) Well, that's the same thing as when we are disobedient. When we sin, we put a kink in the hose. The flow of life from Jesus is interrupted. A branch that is in disobedience starts to wither because it has kinked that flow. It's disconnected from the source of life. And obedience to Jesus' command simply explains that's how we keep the connection going and the life flowing. When we live in disobedience, we are the ones who cut the flow from God. God does not pull away from us ever. We kink the hose. And we unkink it through confession and repentance to 
churchy words. Right? Confession simply means I agree, I recognize, I admit that I've done things that are wrong and that have taken me out of connection with God. Repentance is that I make the required changes to bring myself back into connection, either through actions that I need to take with another person or getting things right between God and myself. And so I stay connected with Jesus by making his priorities my priorities. You see, the gospel is not that Jesus has added his life to yours, but that he has added your life to his. Jesus is the vine. You are the branch, not the other way around. Which is to say that Jesus is not a nice add-on to make your life better. Jesus is our king. He is our true leader. He is the one whom we follow and whom we serve. And his command is to love people the way that he does. Jesus said that all the commands of God boil down to this. Love God and love people. That is the fruit that we produce. So how do we produce fruit? So if you go out and you look, find a, a fruit tree or a, a vine or whatever, take a good look at it and, and uh, just go up there and look really close. And I want you to see if that apple or that fruit is straining to be, become fruit. I mean, do you look at it and see the apple? It's like, I gotta grow, gotta grow. No, that doesn't happen. Right? All it's doing is drawing life from the branch and growing and maturing and becoming beautiful. And so I don't need to be out there striving and gritting my teeth and working really hard. I just need to live and abide and let the life of God flow into me. So how do I do that? How do I get that flow going? Well, we can do things that help or hinder this process. The things that help are what we talk about when we talk about spiritual disciplines, right? The eyes reading scripture, reading the Bible to know what God is saying and what God is like. I mean, can you imagine being, uh, you know, married to someone, but you only spend about, you know, two minutes a day with that person? Like, kind of, kind of a pretty casual, distant connection, wouldn't it? Well, if you're microdosing on Jesus, um, you're not going to get very far, you know? Like, hey, I only got two minutes for you, Jesus, but let's get it on. I mean, God will show up for two minutes, but we need to do those things that create the space and the opportunity for that connection to come. And we do that through sitting in silence or stillness. And we push away the noise and the distraction and the busyness of the world and all those shiny, glittery things that are calling for us and trying to pull us away from the source. Right? That's what having that time with God is about, of making sure there's that opportunity to listen, to tune in, to hear, to receive, and to respond, right? to, to get my heart in alignment with him as well. I can hinder the flow as well, right, by what I'm taking in. Am I absorbing things through entertainment and through media, through music, through 
social contacts, through how I'm spending my time and, the, and the, what I'm allowing to influence me. That's a little bit of that phrase, garbage in, garbage out. Right? So being mindful of what am I ingesting into my life? And is that creating the opportunity and space? Does it draw me closer to Jesus or not? I mean, that's actually one of the great tests that you can do of like, hey, is this activity helpful or not? Does it draw you closer to Jesus or not? Should I spend my time doing this or that, watching this or that? I don't know. Does it draw you closer to Jesus or not? That's a great just rule of thumb that we can use to help us discern how we spend our time and what we allow into our lives. And so that's my part in bearing fruit, is simply to keep the channel open and free-flowing to bear fruit. And the more I become like Jesus, the more I engage the world as Jesus' ambassador. Corrie ten Boom, who was... Uh, so she sheltered uh, Jews during the Holocaust, and she herself was imprisoned in a concentration camp. She said this, Trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the ministry of Jesus just flows out of you. That's what we're after. To have the life, the love, the presence of Jesus flow out of us. And I believe that that fruit is going to look different for different people. Because God has made each of you distinct and the Holy Spirit has given gifts to each one of you as according to his desire and his will. And as you begin to live in Jesus and allow the abundance of Jesus to you, it's going to start kind of flowing out of you in different ways depending on how God made you. Some of you are going to experience just this sense of, hey, when I am doing this activity or loving people or serving in this way, it brings me joy. It brings me fulfillment. And that's just a sense of this is who I am. You know, we're not cutty cooker, uh, cookie cutter uh, replicas of somebody else that we've heard of, like I'm supposed to look like that person. No, you're supposed to look like the person that Jesus made you to be. I think of... Mark Thompson, who is uh, just a gifted evangelist, and as the spirit is full of him, he just has this way to talk to people in a winsome way that just draws them to Jesus. I think about John Abel, who is walking around somewhere in the back. There he is. Who is just this most loving and merciful person whose kindness overflows to others. I think about my wife, Anastasia, and her gifts of hospitality, how she delights in drawing people in and feeding them and caring for them and honoring them. I think about Michelle Holmberg, who we've been blessed from the teaching and the passion that she brings as she shares the truth of God's word and how we live that out in, in passionate life and caring for others and letting them know who Jesus is. I think about Grant who is a gifted counselor who, who helps people to heal and to connect and restore those places in their life that are broken. And I think all these people would say that when I am doing that, I am experiencing and feeling the love of God that I'm doing what I was created to do. 
Some of you are creatives, and as you sit in God's presence, you're going to experience that sense of, hey, God has given me a song or, or ability to create beautiful things. I think of my friend Dylan back here, who a lot of you don't know, who's an amazing artist and just can draw people into worship through the power of his beautiful artwork. God wants you to be you and to experience the fullness of that love and that mercy that he has created in you. There are so many gifts and so many beautiful expressions of his life in this body. We don't need replicas. We need authentic people who are connecting and using that connection, that fullness of life in service to God to reach others. The connected life is not simply a dead-end street where the love of God ends with us. Instead, his love produces something. It leads to something. It leads to us having authentic relationships with people. And so we move from being disconnected and lonely by stepping out and engaging with Jesus and engaging with other people in their lives. I mentioned that we showed up and that we loved how people in this church uh, loved each other and and the relationships, but we quickly realized that we had to make a decision to move from the sidelines of observing to being engaged. And so we got involved with a life group, and we have made just beautiful friendships and relationships with my my group that's over here. Uh, Just appreciate them so much that they have gotten to to know us and allowed them to get to, to know each other's lives and to walk together. We went on the retreats with the women's retreat and the men's retreat and got to know people and allowed them to get to know us. Because the life that Jesus has for us is bigger than us. Verse 12, Jesus said, this is my command, love one another. And the people he meant are both inside this building and outside this building. Earlier on that same last evening, Jesus told his disciples, as recorded in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. Love one another as I loved you, sacrificially, laying down your life for others, loving people when it's costly, Loving people when it's inconvenient. Loving people when it's uncomfortable. Loving people when it's awkward. Loving people when you're not sure if it's going to be received or returned. In our church, we seek to build both authentic relationships with God and each other. But not just the people in this room. Not just with people who are like us. As I mentioned, there are so many people who are lonely and disconnected. Maybe you're one of them. But this is the place where we do our best to love each other. We're not perfect. We don't do it perfectly. right? We're all growing and, and maturing and, and learning to love better. But I encourage you, if you are lonely and disconnected, I invite you to take a step to connect. Visit a life group. Allow people to start to get to know you. Maybe find a place to connect and volunteer to serve and the children's ministry, or the various activities that we've got going on. Show up. Be seen. And to the others of us who have been here for a while, we love it 
It's comfortable. But if we're simply satisfied with coming to church just to see my friends and and enjoy worshiping together, then actually we're still immature. We're children who are safe in the nursery. It's a great place to start, but it's not where we stop. You know, we don't want to see some 20-year-old dude with a big old beard in the nursery, unless you're helping. (laughs) There's an expression that I love. It says, a ship in the harbor is safe. But that's not what ships are for. The love of Jesus compels us to go to others and to love them. To love even those who don't love us back. To serve those who are indifferent or, or suspicious of Jesus. That's your neighbor. It's your coworker. It's your family member. It's that socially awkward person that you know in the lunchroom. It's the lonely person who is dying inside, longing for someone to care enough to reach out and ask them how they're doing, to express love and concern for them, to give somebody a hug who hasn't had someone touch them in weeks. So where do we start? How do we become people who love like Jesus? It's by opening our hearts and inviting them by inviting Jesus to have more of us, to welcome more of him. It means staying close to him, doing life with Jesus 24-7. Invite him to come with you to your work, to school. Ask him in help with your struggles. Jesus, I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't know how to solve this financial problem. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life or what's coming next for me. Jesus, show me how to handle this strained family relationship. Jesus, what should I do about this person who is totally driving me crazy? Enter into partnership with Jesus by asking him to show you who needs his love around you. And then ask him to help you love that person. It's taking a step to make a connection with another person And just to continue that flow of life, Jesus, of the flow of Jesus' life into you and through you. So who is that person for you? Jesus, show us. Show us someone right now who you want us to love. Bring them to our mind. Put them on our heart. And now, Lord, give us the courage to love them with your love in us. Don't dismiss that person who comes to mind. Don't be like Jesus, no, 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 not that person. (laughs) Try again. (laughs) Receive that. Because Jesus is with you. He wants to love that person through you. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And so now may you open your heart and allow your life to be shaped by Jesus, to be filled with Jesus, to connect to him 
so that his life might flow through you in beautiful ways. Amen. We're going to move into our time of communion. As you may have noticed today, we're going to do it a little differently. There's tables that are set up on the side rather than the cups uh, that we have. If you've picked up a cup anyway, you're, that's fine. You're good. But um, what we're going to do is we're going to have a, a music play, and I'm going to invite you to get up and go to the side to get those, get the elements, and then bring them back to your seat, uh, and we'll, we'll take it together. But use this time of, of motion, of movement, to just reflect. Maybe you need to unkink the hose with Jesus. Just take this time as you're moving to get elements and return to your seat to get that connection restored. Maybe it's to just hear from Jesus of how he wants you to connect with someone. And if you prefer to not use the... the you know, that's there and you want to grab one of the sealed cups in the back, that's an option for you as well. So go ahead and do that as, as the worship team leads us in a song here. Just listen, reflect, and then after the end of the song, I will lead us in sharing in, this, uh, in the communion elements together.